Well, we're going to continue in our Women of the Bible series. This has been a really awesome series. We planned to do it last year. A couple things got in the way. The world shut down. And uh, so we brought it back this year. And we're just looking at God's sovereignty. That's why we're looking at this series. God's sovereignty, how he chooses some daughters of the king. And he says, I want to do something miraculous and wonderful through these daughters of myself that my glory might be displayed fully in them. And we see some themes that are very consistent in these women. We see how they were obedient to God. We see how they were faithful to God. We see how they risked their lives for God. And we see in all these women, they are winners. These women are winners. They are winners in God. And they are women that we can look at and say, I want to be like that woman as that woman follows God. They're a great example for us to look at. It's pretty awesome, pretty awesome. What, what we're gonna look at today is, is, um, is a little different. I've never heard a sermon preached on these two women, and I've never preached a sermon on these two women, so we are in new territory together, my friends. We're gonna start in Psalm 139, but we're gonna be in Exodus chapter one. But in Psalm 139, I want you to think about the culture that we live in right now. I want you to think about the messages people write on poster boards and display in the streets. I want you to think about the graphics you see on social media or on the news and the language that is attached to them. I want you to think about the hurt that you see in our culture right now, the questions you see in our culture, and how this verse right here, Psalm 139, 13, addresses it. For you. Speaking of God, imagine if our culture right now would acknowledge God. For you formed. This means God creates. God crafts. God makes masterpieces. What would our world do to embrace the fact that God creates? For you formed my inward parts. God had something to do with your insides. Think about the hurt and the pain that is in our world and if our world would embrace the concept, the truth, that God formed their insides. Then it gets really kind of poetic in this next line. It says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Can you come into that place of imagination with me for a moment? I imagine God has a paintbrush and he painted your eyes because your eyes are not like anyone else's eyes. I imagine that God carved the fingerprint on your fingers because your fingerprints are not like anyone else's fingerprints. I imagine that God wired together the wires in your brain because your brain has been wired like no one else's brain. Our world is hurting and our world needs the truth and God has given us his Holy Spirit and we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ and we have the word of God. Our world needs Jesus and we have Jesus. And we need to bring the truth of the word of God to a world that is so desperately needing to know the truth. Because deception has taken over in our world. And our world needs to know, for you formed. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. In Exodus chapter 1, we discover two women. Their names are Shipra and Puah. 
And these are two ordinary women that God used to make an extraordinary impact. And I wanna explain this word ordinary. I don't use that from a theological standpoint. We just talked about how we're all masterpieces. I mean, God makes us a masterpiece. We're special because of God. We're not special because of us. We're special because God is the one who has created the masterpiece of our life. I use the word ordinary here because they were about the common things of life. They were about the common things of life, doing the common things of life, about the everyday. And in the everyday, these ordinary women, God uses to make an extraordinary impact. And it is amazing to see the impact of something very simple that we look at that these women do. So if we wanna live a life of extraordinary impact, we need to embrace three beliefs because what we believe, it informs how we behave. And as we look at these three beliefs, we can see how it directly ties in to how these women acted and how we can follow in that example in belief and in action. Belief number one is sovereignty. This is believing that God is great and he is good, which means he is great and he is good in your life. That God is at work to bring about his will. Think about that word bring. God has a will and he's gonna bring it into your life. He's gonna bring his will about in your life. And so where do you need to see the plan of God? That is where you trust in his sovereignty and you welcome him bringing his plan into your life. God is working in the ordinary details to bring about extraordinary results. And this word details right here is very important. And here's why. Because you may think the small stuff doesn't matter. That the small things don't matter. But they do matter if the small things are the God things. And if God, the sovereign God, is at work in small things in your life, those things are not insignificant at all. Those things are incredibly significant because God, who is sovereign, is working in the details of your life. And we're gonna see something in the ordinary and in the common and in the small details where God brings about his sovereign action in this account. It's really incredible. So in Exodus chapter one, verse one, it says, these are the names of the sons of Israel. So to understand Israel, we need to understand Abraham. God makes a promise to Abraham in his old age that he's gonna have a child and that he's gonna multiply a nation through this child. That child's name was Isaac. Isaac then has twin baby boys. And those twin baby boys were named Esau and Jacob. These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel, but his name was Jacob, and the way he got his name Jacob was because when Esau was born, and Esau was the firstborn of the two twins, Jacob's hand was holding on to the ankle and the heel of Esau. And so he, it's called, his name is called Jacob because it means supplanter or he cheats. He's trying to pull the brother back in so he can go out first, right? And so his name literally means deceiver. That's gonna be important here in a moment. These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family. So the reason that Israel and all of his kids and family moved to Egypt is because there was a famine and there was food stored up in Egypt. The sons are Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. That's 11 of the 12 sons. There's one more. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt. That's all his sons, their wives, and all the grandkids. 
including Joseph, who was already there. Why was Joseph already there? I'm telling you, you got to read your Bible. This stuff is amazing. Joseph's already there because his brother, his brothers sold him into slavery into Egypt. And so Joseph gets sold as a slave into Egypt, and God uses Joseph. He raises him up to a place of incredible power and influence as a slave in Egypt to where he designs a plan to help bring salvation from the famine to the entire nation of Egypt. And his family ends up now coming to Egypt to experience that. You, you got to go and read your Bible. You just got to read. It's incredible. Verse 6, in that time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. So time's going on, you know, working through the generations of the people of Israel. And it says they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. In other words, God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham. God tells him he's going to make him into a great nation. And so now we see, you know, generations are going through and there's just massive multiplication of Israelites happening. Verse 8, eventually a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about what Joseph or what he had done. So the king that had raised up Joseph to a place of power and given him incredible authority and Joseph had brought salvation to the entire nation through famine to have food stored up, that king's gone and dead. There's a new king. He's forgotten all about what Joseph did. Forgotten all about the people, the Israelites, and how they came. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. And they will escape from the country. And we see this word, they say we need to keep we need to keep them from growing even more. So what they're saying is not we need to keep control of the Israelites. They're trying to say we need to keep control of what God is doing. Because God is the one who is working out his promise through these Israelites right now. We've got to control God. Look, at how, look how God's blessing this nation. Multiplying. We've got to keep God under wraps here. When God makes a promise, threats are going to come to that promise. And this is a threat that comes to the promise of God. But God will fulfill his promises. And as God makes promise to you, there will be threats that come to it. But God's going to fulfill his promise. But they are so worried right here. The, the nation of Egypt, they're so worried because they think, here's what's going to happen. This nation's going to grow so powerful. And there's going to be a war that breaks out. And they're going to join the enemy and they're going to conquer us. And then they will escape from this country. I'm just going to take a moment right now. And pray for what's happening in the nation of Israel right now, okay? Father God, we understand the turmoil that's happening in our world. Lord, there is great disruption. Lord, we have loved ones who are being mobilized right now. And God, we ask for your protection and your safety of our family and our friends who are serving. And Lord, we ask for your divine hand of sovereignty over the nation of Israel, that you might bring about your purposes and your plan. And so God, help us to be prayerful. Help us to be understanding what's happening in our world. Lord, that we really might be the, the prayer support team that is lifting up the men and women who are in harm's way. And so God, use us as a church family to be prayerful 
to be of encouragement. And we ask, Lord, for your sovereign hand and your plan to come about in our world as nation rises against nation and war is happening. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's family said, amen. In verse 11, so the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. Joseph came to Egypt as a slave, sold by his brothers into slavery. And now we see the entire nation is being sold into slavery. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramsey as supply centers for the king. Joseph as a slave, God used him to build supply centers for the king to save the nation from famine. And now all of the Israelites have been made slaves, and they're now all forced to build supply centers for the new king. There's a lot of themes that really mirror and parallel here. But more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread. And I just want you to know that that is a common pattern. When the people of God are oppressed, God multiplies his people and spreads them out. We see this right after the time of Jesus Christ. The church is just now being born and great oppression comes to believers and God multiplies believers rapidly during that time and spreads them all out. You can read about that in your Bible. It's called the dispersion. So when you see that word, the dispersion, that's talking about Christians being oppressed, multiplied, and spread all over the place. And God does that over and over and over. The more of the alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked with the people of Israel, worked the people of Israel without mercy. And this is just remarkable to see because it was through Joseph that God brought mercy to the nation of Egypt as he used Joseph to create this plan to bring food during the famine. And God brings mercy to Egypt through the Israelites, and now the Egyptians are no longer showing mercy to the Israelites. It's just very, very interconnected here. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields, and they were ruthless in all their demands. Now, it says they made their lives bitter, which means they made their circumstances bitter. They made their physical life and their physical worth bitter. It says they were ruthless to them. But what is important to understand in this moment is no one can make your heart bitter but you. You're the only one who makes your heart bitter. People may make your circumstances bitter. People may make your physical surroundings bitter. But you control whether your heart becomes bitter, which is why it's so important for us to regularly ask God, test me and know my thoughts, examine me, see if there's any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. God, my heart's before you. Root out any of the places of bitterness that are in me, that the enemy would not have a foothold in this heart, that I might not become a bitter person, but I would be filled with your grace and your mercy. And so we see that their circumstances were bitter, their physical surroundings were bitter, but it was up to the Israelites whether they would become bitter or not. That was a choice only they made. Then Pharaoh, in verse 15, the king of Egypt, he gave this order to the Hebrew midwives. So an order, top of the line in the government order comes out. And it comes to these two women, these Hebrew midwives, and these are the two women that we're gonna look at. But they, what's important to understand in this moment is they were just going to work. They were midwives. They delivered babies, that's what they did. They were just going to work. They had a normal job and they were just going to their normal job. They were showing up to work that day and they show up to work that day in the normal, ordinary pattern of their life 
And they now face this order from the king at the highest level of authority. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shipra and Pua. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If it is the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. I'm super confused on how help and kill are in the same sentence in this order. I'm not sure the king understands what it means to help. Hey, when you go to help them, murder their baby boys. That's kind of a stark contrast, right? What's the problem? The problem was that they were, so many people were given birth. Why is that happening? It's because God made a promise to Abraham and God is fulfilling his promise. So if a nation's gonna be multiplied, there's gonna be a bunch of babies. And there's a bunch of babies happening and these women are the women who are working their normal day job to help deliver all these babies. And they show up to work and this is what they hear from the highest authority in the nation. It's a normal day on the job. Belief number one is sovereignty. Yeah, God's great and he's good. Belief number two is reverence. Reverence for God brings power. And so you have to ask, where do I need God's power in my life? I want you to understand as I, as I have reverence for him, as I believe in the reverence of God, that I, I gotta trust that he's gonna bring his power that only he has, he's gonna bring his power into my situation that I need. And so you gotta ask, what's your power supply? Who are you relying on for power? Are you relying on yourself for power? Are you relying on someone else for power? Are you relying on caffeine for power? Where are you relying on power in your everyday life, okay? Fear of the Lord brings power to make extraordinary decisions, and decisions is the key word right here. And let me frame it this way. You may say, I don't have extraordinary looks. I don't have extraordinary skills. I don't have extraordinary strength. I don't have extraordinary cash. I don't have extraordinary fame. I don't have extraordinary anything. There's nothing extraordinary about my life. I would just ask you this one question. Can you make a decision? Can you say yes? No. Because if you can make a decision, God can use your decision in an extraordinary way. A decision that says yes or a decision that says no. And we see these two women make a decision. It says in verse 17, but because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's order and they allowed the boys to live. Think about what they're doing. They're at work. It's a normal day. Their life is a normal life and they just make a decision. It's a simple decision. It has massive impact, but it is a simple decision, and it is, they said yes to God. Yes, God. And because they said yes to God, they said no to the king. No king. And because they said yes to God, it helped them say no to the king, and it helped them say yes to life. They let the boys live. These two women do something very simple, but it has a huge impact. They go to work and they make these two decisions, yes to God and yes to life. Yes to God, yes to life. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives, why? Why have you done this, he demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? And when you say yes to God and yes to life, this is what the world's gonna do. They're gonna question you. Why are you saying yes to God? Why are you saying yes to life? And they are gonna demand an answer from you. Why are you saying yes to God and why are you saying yes to life? And when we see people right now today, 
Say yes to God and yes to life, what do we see the world do? Question and demand. It's happening right now in our world. The Hebrew women, this is how they respond, verse 19. The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied, which is true, but it's not because one group of women is Hebrew and one group of women is Egyptian, or one group of women is from one location and another group of women is from another location. The reason there was a difference is only this. God's hand of blessing was on the Hebrew nation. God's hand of blessing was on them. That was the difference. So it is true that they're not like, you know, they were not like because God's hand of blessing was on them. But then they say something, and we just got to enter into it. Here we go. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly, we can't get there in time. (laughs) And I want you to know, verse 19, I super struggle with this. I struggle with this, I struggle with this verse, I'm just being honest. Because I'm like, it doesn't say that they're lying, but it sort of seems like they're lying. Because it just says, it just, it just says that, <laughs> it says that they made the choice to allow the boys to live. And now they're like, you know, I don't know, man, those women are just really good and we can't get there in time. You know, like, just, it's really good at getting the job done. You know, they don't need us. And I just, I struggle with that. I want you to know, it bothers me. I had a young gal come up to me after the service last night, a student, just wanted to ask me, you know, Pastor Joel, can you help me understand that they lied? I don't know. I kind of got a problem with it too. Can we have a problem with it together? <laughs> now, my problem ends in the next verse, but I just wanted to share that I had a problem with it. But deception's a part of the nation of Israel. Israel's given name was Jacob, and Jacob means deceiver. And we see deception all through the history. In Micah 6, 8, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with the calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? Basically, what do I got to do to please God? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. So I take those three things and I just ask this question. Did these two women do those three things? Did these two women do justice? Well, the king wanted them to do something that was wrong and they chose to do something that was right for God. So I believe they did, they did justice. Did they love kindness? Well, the king wanted to do, them to do something that was cruel, but they chose to extend the grace of God and they let the babies live. So I look and I go, I think they loved kindness. Did they walk humbly? Well, the king was operating out of pride and of great threat. And they chose to fear God and be submissive to God. So I look and I say, I believe that they walk humbly. So if I use this verse as the litmus test of what does God require, I look at Shipra and Pua and I say, they did justice, they loved kindness, and they walked humbly. So they must have done the right thing. Belief number two is reverence. Belief number three is blessing. This is where we see obedience to the Lord brings blessing. Where do you need blessing in your life? Well, the Lord's gonna bring his blessing into your life when you're obedient in that area of your life. So you just have to ask, where do I need God to show up and how can I become obedient? Obedience will be rewarded with extraordinary blessings of the Lord. And this this word right here, rewarded, is an important reward because there's a moment coming when we're gonna be judged. We're gonna all stand before God and be judged for everything we say, do, speech, actions, history, thought life, and I don't know about you, that always makes me feel sober every time I think about it. 
because I know what I've said and I know what I've done. I know how I've hurt people. I know the sin that's in my life. And it is a great reminder of how important the grace of God is to receive forgiveness in Jesus Christ and to not trust in my own works, but to trust in Jesus Christ and the grace of God. I am so grateful for the grace of God because there's coming a moment I know that I will stand before God and you will stand before God. And the only thing that will matter in that moment is the grace of Jesus Christ. And he is our reward. Jesus is our reward. So my dilemma from verse 19 gets answered in verse 20. So God was good to the midwives. So this is the action they take to let the babies live. They lie to the king about it. What is God's response? So God was good to the midwives. So my, my, my question gets solved right there. But it didn't mean I didn't have a problem in verse 19. But in verse 20, I can see, hey, God, God puts his stamp of approval on what they did. God was good to them. And the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And why did they continue to multiply? Because God is working out his promise to Abraham. He's going to multiply Abraham into a great nation. And God is fulfilling. This was just a bump in the road. This was a threat to his promise. But God is going to fulfill his promise. God will get done what he wants to get done. The issue is, are we going to be on his side of that getting it done? Or are we going to be working against him in the getting it done? Because he's going to get it done. And then we see something incredible. It says they grow more and more powerful, the Israelites, as they multiply. But in verse 21, we see something that's such an amazing thing. It says, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. I've got to speculate a little bit to like enter into this part of the story because I don't have all the details. Here's what I don't know. I don't know if they were unable to have children on their own. It does not say that. So I do not know if that is what the case, but I wonder. What I do know is they did not have families of their own at that moment because it says that God gave them families of their own. And I just imagine these two women as midwives delivering babies. Man, these Hebrews are fertile. I mean, it's just, you know, just delivering babies, delivering babies, just baby after, I, can't, I just imagine at some point did they look at a baby and say, God, I would like one. I, I would like, I would like to have a child. I don't know, I just, my imagination is kind of running in this moment. But what I do know is that God approved of them, he was good to them, and he gives them a gift of something they don't have. And God does that for them, and God does that for you, and God does that for me. In all kinds of ways in our life, he gives gifts to us of things we do not have. And he blesses us, and the only reason we have those things is because of the blessing of God. Incredible. Now, verse 22, it gets crazy, all right? Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people. Remember the first order was to two women? That order was to two women. When the babies are born, if it's a boy, kill them. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. The entire nation is mobilized in this moment on this order. Like, the highest threat level now exists. This is a very dangerous circumstance to be in. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. The entire nation of Egypt has been mobilized by the king's order in a massive death threat to male babies. They're really hard circumstances. Really hard circumstances. And even in the midst of this craziness, God is still sovereign. 
and God is still working. And I just gotta tell you, you gotta read your Bible. You gotta turn the page and just go read it this week because there's a boy who gets placed in a basket and gets sent down the Nile River. And the two women we look at today are part of five women, and you'll read about the next three women as you find about this boy who goes down the Nile River, and you see how five women are used by God in an incredible way in this moment as God is bringing about his redemption plan, as he's working out his salvation plan, even in the midst of a nation on red alert with this death threat and the death, the kill order, it's remarkable. You gotta read your Bible. Be a Christian who knows the word of God. So I'll just close with this. What is your relationship with saying yes to God and yes to life? And is there an opportunity for you to take a step forward to say yes to God and yes to life? You know, one example is we have an incredible ministry that we partner with. It's one of our local reach partners. It's called the Modesto Pregnancy Center. The Modesto Pregnancy Center is working with young women and young men who find out that they, that they just find out that they're pregnant. And in this moment, this organization helps them say yes to God and yes to life. And we've partnered with them for a long time. We give, them update, we give you guys updates about them all the time. You know, a couple years back, we were able through the generosity of this church to buy a really significant piece of equipment, you know, so they could see the, see the babies in the, in the mama's tummy. I mean, just cool stuff that we've been able to partner with them. But man, maybe, maybe God would have you say yes to God and yes to life, and you'd be getting involved with Minnesota Pregnancy Center somehow. I don't know. Maybe this is a moment where you would consider foster care. The California child welfare system has tons of kids in it. We need more families to welcome children into their home that they might have a safe place. Safe place, a safe home to find out about Jesus Christ. Maybe God's calling you to, to be a foster parent. Maybe, maybe God's calling you to adopt. That your home would become the permanent home for how God wants to work in a child's life. To where your home becomes the permanent solution for them to have health and safety and to find out about Jesus Christ. Maybe God's calling you to support someone who's fostering and to support someone who's adopting because there's a lot of support that's needed. When people welcome children into their home, a lot of support's needed, and maybe you're gonna become a part of the support structure, and in one of those scenarios, you're gonna say yes to God and yes to life, and God's gonna use you in a great way. Now, I understand, and I say this very sensitive, sensitively with grace and mercy and love, I understand that as we talk about subjects like this, it stirs things up. I recognize that, and I want to handle that carefully. If, if God is stirring something up in your life from a past decision where you may not have said yes to God and you may not have said yes to life, I just want you to know that there is grace and love and mercy in Jesus Christ. We love you. We want to walk with you. There's a great ministry called Surrendering the Secret. It might be something that you want to look into. It might be applicable for you and your situation. I don't know, but I know this. We're your church family. And God's called us to love one another and be gracious to one another and point each other to Jesus Christ that we might find all that we need in him. And we're on your team. And we wanna walk with you. And I asked for our connect cards to be held onto because of some of these things I've shared, maybe you feel like there's an action step for you. And I would just challenge you to use the connect card. If there's something you want more information about from our team, use that connect card, let us know. Or there's some questions you have, use the connect card. Or maybe you need some help Use the Connect card. 
you, know, you can turn that in online or, or around the room. But also, our team's gonna be available right here in the altar room. We'd love to pray with you right now, if that's what you wanna do right now. After the gathering, our team is here, and we just want you to know we love you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. We have great opportunity to say yes to God and yes to life and to encourage one another in that. And today's a new day. And we walk forward from this day. We move forward with Christ from this day into the plans that he has for us. We're gonna end with a song. It's called Available. We've sang this song a few times during this series, but we're gonna end singing this song together. And this song is about saying yes to God. It's about saying, God, I'm available for what you have for my life. And as we end singing this song, I would just encourage you to evaluate how is God inviting you to say yes to God or yes to life in this moment, that you might respond to God in this moment and say, I'm available. I'm available for what you want. So let's stand together. I'm gonna pray and our team is gonna lead us in one last song. This is an opportunity for us to respond to God. Father, as I think about this weekend, I just kind of am blown away. This has been a very special weekend at Big Valley Grace Community Church across all our campuses. This has been a special time to see you working, drawing people to yourself in salvation, seeing people go public with their faith in baptism. Lord, seeing people be challenged in all kinds of areas and drawn to you in all kinds of areas. You are at work. You are at work, and it is awesome to be in a place you are working. And God, we say thank you. So during this song, Lord, use this time. Use the lyrics of this song. Use the word of God. Use this time to really draw us to that place of obedience that you want us to, to be in. Help us to say yes to you. Help us to say yes. Yes, Lord. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior and all God's family said, amen.